Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. If you have ever waited and, and prayed for something for a long, long time, perhaps you're still waiting, perhaps you're you're still praying. You're praying that same prayer that you've been waiting, God, to do something and to respond. And you just keep waiting and you keep praying. Maybe you've been praying and waiting from a place of, of brokenness or of, of deep pain or despair or loneliness. Or maybe that place that you've been waiting and praying from deals with broken dreams. I think that today's message may be especially connecting with you and and I'm not really talking to the cowboy fans in the room who are going man I've been waiting and praying for 26 plus years to get back to a Super Bowl okay I'm, I'm right there with you I mean there's whole generation my, my kids don't even know what it's like for the Cowboys to be in such a game and I was born in the 70s and so I grew up with the Roger Staubachs and the and the Tony Dorsett's and the and the Drew Pearsons and the doomsday defense and I, that's what I knew is the great Tom Landry and all the success and then we got to Jimmy Johnson and we got to more Super Bowls in college and 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 then it's just kind of been not so much, right? So we've been praying and we've been waiting and, and maybe that's, that's where you are today. But maybe, maybe those prayers and those painful parts and those broken places go beyond just your team. Maybe it goes to something in your family that you've been waiting on. Or in your job or in your... A judgment, maybe, that you've been waiting on or waiting through. I don't, I don't know what it is, but something's coming to your mind. You know what it is. God knows what it is. And I think today's message and the prayer we'll look at today will help give us some hope about a revolution. And how we can pray a prayer that God would turn something around. That's what a revolution is, yes? It's a turning around. Maybe you've been watching the Olympics and you've been seeing some people turn around on skates or on boards or on skis. Man, that's what a revolution is. It's a turning around. And I'm not, I'm not promising you an answer to your prayers by the end of our time today, but I do want us to look at an example of a woman in the Bible who we can look to, who we can listen to, who we can find a model of prayer, an encouragement, a hope that we can take as our own in her prayer and in her waiting and in her approach on waiting on the Lord. Would you take your Bible, would you turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel. Today we're going to look at a couple of her prayers. This woman named Hannah. Two different prayers. One that she, that she voices in praise. A second one that she actually sings. Sometimes prayer can be a song. And so we'll look at these two prayers that Hannah prayed. And uh, this first one we'll look at comes from that place where maybe you're at this morning. That place of deep pain and waiting and brokenness of sorrow, of anxiety. And what we see is that in time, God answers her prayer favorably. And then that will lead into that second prayer that I mentioned and we'll give most of our attention to this morning. 
uh, a prayer that Hannah probably sang. It, it wasn't original with her. It was, it was probably a prayer that was common among her people and that they would, would pray and sing when they would gather for worship. It was often used in the temple to speak of the coming king who would bring revolution. Revolution means what? Turn things around, go in a new direction, right? And that was a part of what this prayer was hoping for and that she would sing and we'll look at in a few moments. God, he's got a, he's got a track record of turning things around, yes? Yeah, it's not a trick question. Turning things around that have been messed up by sin, that have been messed up by brokenness, and turning those things that have been turned upside down, turning them right side up again. Our God is a revolution and a revolutionary God. And as we read this prayer and as we think about where we are, you may feel like you're in the margins of life. That everybody else is in the center of society. Everybody else is in the center of what's going on. But maybe you feel sidelined and in the margins. I'm telling you, if you read scripture, God always has his eye on the ones who are in the margins. God always has his eye on those who are in need. God always has his eye on those who seem to be feeling overlooked, left out, out of luck. Friends, don't ever forget, God sees, God hears, and our God responds. He's a revolution waiting to happen. He's a revolutionary God ready to turn things around. And, and, and that's part of Hannah's story. That's part of Hannah's prayer. Again, uh, as I've mentioned throughout this series and will continue to, I'm indebted to a man named Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Uh, Dr. Brueggemann's an Old Testament scholar and professor at Columbia Theological Seminary. His work, Great Prayers in the Old Testament, uh, are really the, the foundation for this whole series. And his work and his words and many of the words that I'm, I'm saying to you today are straight from him. And so I want to give him uh, the credit that he's due there. Uh, his, his words and his work have been impacting my prayer life. And, and perhaps, perhaps like many of you, uh, maybe, maybe you're kind of like me, and, and I tend to invest more of my reading time, study time in the Bible, kind of in the, in the right portion of the Bible, the back portion of the Bible known as the New Testament. Anybody else kind of hang out in the New Testament a whole lot? Yeah, well, we need to spend time in the front part, the left part of the Bible, the Old Testament, but sometimes it's helpful to have experts that can help us connect the dots. That's what Dr. Brueggemann's doing for me. The, the characters, how the different pieces fit together. Sometimes we need help seeing the bigger picture come into focus. And what we'll see if we'll do that is God's been the same in the old all the way through the new. There's a bigger story. There's one story that's told from Genesis all the way through. And before we look at these prayers that Hannah prayed, let's take a step back and try to get a little bit better understanding. Who was Hannah? Who was this woman from the Old Testament? Hannah was the mother of the son whom this book was named after that we're going to look at this morning. Samuel. Samuel was the son 
of Hannah. And the book of 1 Samuel, you go, what, what is this about? The book of 1 Samuel, it's a recording of how the monarchy of Israel was actually established. A little over a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the city of David. David is a key figure in the book of Samuel. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So about 1050 BC, that's when the book of 1 Samuel uh, was, was, was written and the monarchy of Israel was established. And so Hannah's firstborn son, whose name was Samuel, you're tracking with me. Hannah, firstborn son, Samuel. Samuel would grow up and play this really important, prominent role, actually leading Israel before they established a king. Okay? And so Samuel plays this role of prophet, priest, and judge before a king is actually established. And, uh, and after the Israelites, they, they end up looking at the nations around them going, well, everybody else has a king, but we don't have a king. And they're like, we want a king. And he's like, well, God's your king. Yeah, but we want, a, 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 we want another king. He's like, well, okay. Who, who does the king need to be to start off here? A guy named Saul. Saul. God directs Samuel to anoint this man named Saul is Israel's first king. That's in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, if you wanted to read that a little bit later. And eventually, King Saul, he turns from God. We see that over in chapter 15. And so, God then raises up this other person named David, who eventually would replace Saul as king. And David gets anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the king in waiting. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in time, David does assume the throne of Israel. He becomes the king and he's actually in the lineage of Jesus, who was the king of kings, is the king of kings, always will be the king of kings, born in the town of Bethlehem, known as the city of David, so you're tracking here, you're connecting with me, trying to connect the dots. Now, why did I tell you all of that history? What does all that have to do with Samuel's mother, whose name is Hannah? You're tracking. And how Hannah prayed. It's because the, the, the story of Hannah and Hannah's prayer that we're going to look at is actually God's strategy for beginning where Israel's story often begins. And as Dr. Brueggemann notes, with a barren woman who has no son, and thus a people who have no future. Are you concerned about your future? <laughs> this message is for you. Because there's a revolution that God wants to do through such incredibly difficult circumstances. Now, we see this, this strategy. Barren woman, no child, people with no future start to unfold in 
the early parts of the Old Testament, back in Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 11, verse 30, we meet a family of Abraham, and it reminds us of this right here. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. And then God does what? He brings a revolution. He turns things around for them. He he does supernatural things in and through Sarah and her husband Abraham in their old age. And then we see this strategy of God surfacing again. We see it in the New Testament over in Luke's gospel. Now Luke's gospel is going to be really key to what we're talking about this morning, okay? In Luke's gospel... Over in chapter 1, it talks about another older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. You see the theme? It's echoing. It echoes throughout the whole of the Bible. It's God's strategy to do something revolutionary. And God does supernatural things in and through Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah. They would become the parents of John the Baptist would be Jesus's cousin okay Mary and Elizabeth are related okay Jesus and John the Baptist cousins and the very first person to acknowledge the presence of Messiah while still in the womb was John the Baptist think about that the fetus of John leapt in recognition of the yet-to-be-born king. Why do I say that? I say that to remind us that pre-born babies are worthy of life inside the womb and outside the womb because they are the handiwork of God and God has plans for all that he is creating. Okay? And, And we see God then also doing miracles in another woman's womb. Mary, Mary's womb. Now Mary, not barren, but miraculously a virgin who was part of God's strategic plan to do something revolutionary, something that only God could do in a way that only God could do it. And when Mary found out about her immaculate conception and her pregnancy, she does the same thing that her ancient ancestor Hannah did. You know what she does? She sings. Yes? Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat. That's a song of prayer and a song of praise back to God. Luke 1, 46 to 55. And in that Magnificat are actually echoes of the words that Hannah prayed back in 1 Samuel. It all fits together. There's nothing new under the sun. And there's a great revolutionary hope and prayer that we see 
throughout the Bible. So, God, he begins with this barren woman who has no son, and so a people who have no future. And in this instance, it's Hannah who is barren. It's Hannah who prays from her desperate waiting status and place in life. And we see this tearful and anxiety-filled time in prayer being lived out in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Would you look at her prayer with me? 1 Samuel chapter 1, let's begin in verse 6. The Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Come on, man. Be sensitive to your wife. Anyway, verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, pay attention, new character here. Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. What she's doing here is is giving what's called a vow or a Nazarite vow in her prayer to the Lord, saying, Lord, if you will answer my prayer to give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. I'll vow him back. I'll lend him right back to you. Verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli the priest said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Just put Eli in his place, yeah? Sometimes us pastors and priests need to be put in our place. And Hannah just did that to Eli. Look what Eli answers in verse 17. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made. And she said, well, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That means they slept together. And the Lord remembered her. 
And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name, what? Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. She's going to follow through on her vow. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. Going to make an offering. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. Who's Eli? He's the He's the priest. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, Dr. Brueggemann notes that, that Hannah knows that the new baby is a gift from God. A revolution to her prayer turned her whole life around. Yeah? And she knows now, because she made that vow, that this, this new baby must be given over to the purposes of God. And the narrator, or the author of 1 Samuel knows that the purposes have to do eventually with who's coming. David, who in just a few more chapters is going to come into the story in chapter 16. So this barren woman, Hannah, becomes a mother after all, a mother who now must sing. And that's what we see Hannah doing praying, but singing her prayer that's recorded in chapter 2. Again, her song of prayer is likely one that was well known. It was used in worship in that day. It's a song, as we'll read it here in just a second, that declares how strong God is. Isn't that what you want to do when God answers your prayer? You want to go tell everybody and say, man, my God came through. He did this for me. He didn't forget me. He heard my prayer. That's what this song is. It's a declaration of how strong God is. How God's going to do what only God can do to make wrong things right. To make those in the margins of life that feel broken and forgotten come back into the center. Those who feel empty be filled up again. That God will not stand for that forever He'll turn things around in time, in his time. This is a prayer and a song that declares that rescue is coming, that God is on the move, that God is great, that God is turning lives around, that God sees those who are upside down in sorrow and in his time will turn them right side up. And this is the place that Hannah is praying from and singing from. So would you look 
at this second prayer with me and see the hope and see the trust and see the encouragement and see the excitement of what she sees God being up to. Chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said or sang, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Take no more so very, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him, Actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Look at verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Verse 8. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Look at this. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn. Of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have Hannah, th- th- this barren woman. She becomes a mother and she's got to do what? Sing. She's got to sing. And, and this song is about this, this coming victory. This king who's going to bring revolution, bring victory. And now that song. Is coming from the mouth and the heart and the life of a mother who is filled with joy because her prayer from a desperate place has been heard and responded to by God who deeply, deeply loves her and saw her and responded to her. And the birth of this son is a sign. It's a sign of much that is to come by the generosity, by the wisdom of God, But before little Samuel is taken as a large sign to a public faith, he's taken as this little baby. And he's given as a miracle in response to the needy, to the tearful, and to this prayerful woman who didn't have any resources. And God has answered her prayer. And the answer is this precious baby who's going to open the family of Elkanah to newness and open the people of Israel as a whole to an incredible royal future that God has planned for them. And as Dr. Brueggemann points out, 
It takes the narrative just one chapter to arrive at this wondrous verdict. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 26. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There may be some of you who are like me. When I read that and heard that, that that echoed for something that I had read or heard before. Back over in Luke. That, That verse in 1 Samuel sounds a lot like a verse that the gospel writer Luke penned about when Jesus started to grow up. Have you ever heard this verse? Luke 2.52. Turn over there. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. How many of you ever heard that verse before? You ever heard that? Yeah? Yeah, just read it to you. You heard it. We've all heard that one. We've all heard that. What's really interesting to me here is how Luke in his gospel writings have all these echoes of what we hear and see coming forth from the writings of 1 Samuel. And this prayer that Hannah sang, we hear echoes of this prayer. We see the reverberations even through Jesus' teaching in his ministry about the revolution. God turning things around. These unique narratives, birth narratives, they echo each other if we'll listen carefully. It's, It's God winking at us, going, watch this. I know what I'm doing. I've always known what I'm doing. I've always responded to my people. Watch this. Watch this. I hear you. I see you. I haven't forgotten you. Sometimes when it feels like God is silent and not listening and not working... He's always listening. He always is at work. He always sees where you are. He's always working for your good and for his glory. And he will put a song in your heart and in your mouth in time. Just keep waiting. And just keep praying. And it takes just one more chapter beyond that to bring the boy Samuel to significant adulthood as the carrier of God's word in Israel. An adult to be a king maker. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 3 verses 19 to 21. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. Don't we feel like we've got some people in our society today who may be in a position of leadership that when they say it just kind of their words just fall to the ground? Like they hold no weight. It's just whatever whatever the, the masses want to hear today, that's what I'll say. That was not Samuel. God did not let his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. 
All throughout the Old Testament, you'll hear that from Dan to Beersheba. What's that talking about? You're talking about Dan, our worship leader over here? No, it's talking about the city of Dan, which is at the far northern end of the country of Israel, and Beersheba, which is at the far southern end of the country of Beersheba. Think of from the borders of Canada to Mexico. Everybody in the U.S. knew about this. So when you see from Dan to Beersheba, that means everybody in Israel knows the news. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And Brueggemann tells us, no wonder Hannah could sing. No wonder she could sing. She sings out of this surprise of gratitude. She sings that her family is going to continue. Her lineage is going to continue. She sings that her people are going to have a future. She sings that through this little baby that God gave her and that she is giving back to the Lord, there will soon be a newness For the poor and the needy and the hungry and the feeble. That's what verses 4 through 6 in 1 Samuel 2 is about. And she sings in the way that singing is now possible. She sings of this God who's a life bringer in verse 6. She sings of this God who raises up, this God who lifts up the needy. Hannah is the voice of all those who still taste ash in their mouth. Who still have ash In their hair, their throats are coated with their whole life that feels like it's burned down all around them. She's the voice of all those people who find themselves on their way. And they're on their way to royal banquets, to a safe place. All this future is accomplished by the God who is most high. Accomplished by the anointed who will have power. Accomplished by this son for whom she had not dared to hope, but she sure prayed. She prayed. And as Dr. Brueggemann so poignantly points out, it's not any surprise that the church... And its celebrative wonder about Jesus could in turn appropriate the same kind of song that Hannah prayed. As we mentioned just a moment ago, the song of Hannah, it's been transposed into the song of Mary the Magnificat in Luke 1. Verses 46 to 55. Would you turn over to Luke 1? I want to show you a couple of places here. In much the same way as the writer of Samuel. First Samuel. Luke also. He begins his gospel with a woman who did not have a baby yet. Mary. She's not barren, but she is a virgin. And she, like Hannah, is going to give birth to a baby that she didn't expect. And she 
Mary willingly accepts this role as the Savior's mother. Do you remember Mary's words to the angel of the Lord? Look at Luke 1 verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then what did Mary do? She had to sing. Right? She had to sing the Magnificat. And after her song, the rest is history. Mary sang of the baby born wondrously and then focuses upon the God who gave the baby. Look at verses 46 through 49 in Mary's song of prayer. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. The mighty one is what? Holy. But the mighty one is also filled with mercy. That's what she sings about in verse 50. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So when we're having our generations conversations, we're talking about a mercy that needs to come to the next one. How can we best position this church that mercy may go out to the next generation? That divine mercy And Mary's prayer is now embodied in Jesus. And His mercy continues to work a revolution. A turning around in the world. It's a revolution to which the the, the writer of, of Luke, to which Luke is fully committed. We see this revolutionary theme all throughout Luke's gospel. In the song of Mary, the revolution echoes this lyric of Hannah's song. Look at verses 51 to 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. Look at this revolution. And he's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. That is revolution. That's a turning around of the way things currently are, yes? Yeah. Yes. Why is that? Because that's in his nature and character. He's the God who has a track record of turning things around. Turning upside down things in life, right side up. He sees those in the margins of life. He sees the scattered. He sees the outcast. And he brings them near. He moves them from the margin to the center. The empty get filled up. And those with much who are stingy weasels, they get sent away empty handed. So if you're a stingy weasel, start giving. Start being generous. Start trusting what the Lord says. Share. It's not about mine. It's about share. Yeah? That's what the kingdom looks like. 
You want to usher in the kingdom, be radically generous. It's a song of prayer and praise that concerns the lowly. If you feel lowly, this is a song for you. It's a song for you to sing. It's a song for you to join in and me. The lowly and the hungry, in, in Luke's view, it is a revolution that gets triggered by the song that continues all throughout the story, the narrative of Jesus, and actually even from the lips of Jesus. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. Revolution. The lame walk. What is that? Revolution. Lepers are cleansed. What is that? It's revolution. And the deaf hear. What is that? It's revolution. The dead are raised up. What is that? Revolution. The poor have good news preached to them. That is a gospel of revolution. A turning of things around. And it is an echo of Hannah's prayer. And you know what it was to that people? It was music to their ears. And if you keep reading through the Gospel of Luke, you see more and more revolution turning around. The outsiders are welcome to the banquet in Luke chapter 14. It's revolution. The prodigal son is welcomed home in Luke 15. What's that? Take a guess. It's revolution. The tax collector is given salvation in Luke 19. What in the world is that? Say it with me. It's revolution. And the revolution story, it continues as the story of the church. Rooted in this same song of Hannah. Echoed a thousand years later by Mary. And Luke, we know, wrote another book of the Bible. The book of Acts. Maybe I ought to do a series in Acts one day. If you were here several years ago, we were in Acts for about four years. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And he describes throughout the infancy stages of the church after persecution hit and the church begins to scatter and the gospel begins to go to the ends of the earth. Mercy needs to go far and near. And this revolutionary song of the Jesus followers sang with their lips and demonstrated it with their lives in such a way that they are described in Acts 17 verse 6 as these people have turned the world upside down. What's another word for that? Revolution. It's a revolution. Isn't that what Jesus came preaching Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does the word repent mean? Turn around, 
rethink the way you think about things and go in a new direction. It's a revolutionary message that revolutionary people who've lived in the margins feel put down, empty and without hope continue to sing because they know there's a God who loves them and who's always had a plan for them. And they can sing a prayer that Hannah prayed and that Mary prayed and that the church continues to pray. So when we gather together to worship corporately, we gather to sing about the revolution that has come the person of Jesus, and that will come again at just the right time. In the meantime, keep waiting and keep praying, knowing that singing can be part of our prayer. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording. But please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.